0: We're dismissed. The rest of you, you may be seated.
1: To see this morning. Let's turn. I guess you guys are already there actually. John chapter 3. Thank you for being here this morning. We appreciate you being able to make it out. One announcement that I haven't made, that wasn't made, is that we are starting a welcome ministry team. And um, if you can be involved in that and you would like to be involved in that please stick around after service and meet with me and sister Ophi um, Ophi back there we all know our beloved sister Ophi who has a birthday coming up Lord told me um, We'll be meeting after service and we just want to kind of let you guys know what we're doing and if you can help us in any way we would greatly appreciate it. Um, amen. Amen. So we are continuing our exposition of the gospel of John. This morning we will be concluding the third chapter of the gospel of John. I know it may seem like we would have never got to the end of this chapter, but here we are six lessons later at the end of this lesson. So praise God. Amen. The last time that we were together, we were looking at one of the the first lessons of Christianity and one of the first rules of ministry that was exemplified in a man that Jesus called the greatest man ever born of a woman. His name was John the Baptist. I, I didn't say this last time, but I thought I should mention it this time. Baptist is not his last
0: name.
1: We all clear on this? Just like Christ is not the last name of Christ. It is who they are and what they do. It's their ministry. So John the Baptist was referred to as the Baptist because he was given a ministry of baptism. Therefore, he was known as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. Amen. We talked about how John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets He was the last of the flickering stars in the dark night that would soon fade away or fade out of sight because of the rising of the sun. And in this case, we're speaking of the rising of the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. John had a great privilege, not of prophesying about the coming of the Messiah. Instead, John had the great privilege of actually pointing to the Messiah. And he was given the greatest responsibility that anyone who ever lived was given pointing to the Messiah and saying, John 129, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a privilege. What an honor to be able to point to Christ and say, there he is. John was influential. John had a voice. Jesus called him, again, the greatest man ever born of women. But in spite of all of these wonderfully true and seemingly honoring realities that were true about John, he lived his life in such a way that he displayed for his followers and for us here today, and that every faithful minister of the gospel and every faithful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ must know, And put into practice. And that is this. John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let me pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I decrease so that you can increase. I become less so that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way this morning, that you would be glorified. That your people would see a bigger, broader view of you and a smaller view of me and themselves. That we'd be humbled before you, God. That we would bow our knees before you, the only one who was worthy of having a knee bowed before. And God, I pray that you keep me from error. I pray that you keep your people from believing a lie. And I pray, God, that as we leave this service today, again, that we would have a grander view of you a greater view of who you are, that we would not walk out of here saying, what about me? But we would walk out of here saying, how great is our God? We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. That's our song that what I just prayed is our prayer. That should be the the heartbeat of every single one of the believers and followers and disciples of Christ. Make Christ bigger and make us smaller. Let me just say, you can't make Christ bigger than he already is. That's
0: right.
1: You can't make him bigger than he already is. But we can consistently get a bigger picture yes. of who he is. Our eyes can be opened more and more to how big and how great and how wonderful and how awesome God is. Yes. And in light of when we get that bigger picture, that bigger view of God, that bigger view of Christ, a view of ourselves should become smaller and smaller. Now, in the modern contemporary church today, the opposite is, is, is true, where you are to get a bigger view of yourself. Right. And in light of getting a bigger view of yourself, Christ becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Services are, are catered toward you instead of services catered toward God and honoring God and yes. worshiping God, which yes. is why you see what we're doing yes. in the service changing. Yes. Because it is more God honoring. It's more yes. God focused. It's more God centered. Yes. Yes. The minister and the believer, they diminish in the sight of Christ. Yes. Yes. The ministers and the, the believers, we diminish. We become smaller yes. in sight, in view of Christ.
0: Yes. Amen. Yes.
1: And that's the way that John the Baptist lived.
0: Yes.
1: He wanted no fanfare. He wanted no following. He didn't care how many friends he had on his Facebook. He didn't care how many likes he had on his Instagram. He didn't care how many people were following him on his Twitter account. He wanted none of those things. He didn't have any of those things. He simply wanted Christ to be lifted higher and higher. And he was perfectly happy with fading into the obscure background. Amen. He was perfectly happy with just falling, fading into the background. He didn't care how many people liked him. He didn't want anybody to like him. He came on a mission. There's Christ. Follow him. Any church in which much is made about the minister is a church in which Christ is not exalted.
0: Any
1: church in which... M- much is made. We make much about our minister. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't respect them. I'm not saying you shouldn't care for them and love them. But I'm saying when we exalt them right. above Christ, then Christ is not exalted. Yeah. Yeah. However, any church in which the minister is simply seen as a servant and in, in which he serves Christ and the church, that is a church where Christ is exalted. Amen. Where Christ is, is, is exalted, ministers are diminished. Where ministers are exalted, Christ is diminished. That's right. This is seen in many of the so-called evangelical churches across the world in which ministers are elevated to superstar status. They walk into their congregations to the applause, into the shaking of hands, into the taking of pictures, into the signing of autographs. You don't believe me? Rick Warren is an example of that. I don't want to believe that it's that many, but it is that many. Even in this city, if you talk bad about a pastor who is elevated to the, to the status of Christ, you could be in a fistfight. Don't fight for me. I don't need you to fight for me. The battle's the Lord's. If someone doesn't like me, oh, well, doesn't matter. I'm nobody. Let them talk about me. But you can say he preaches the word of God. That's, that's fine. But don't come for, with a black eye for me.
0: <coughs>
1: come with a black eye for Christ. Amen. Christ is to be exalted. Amen? Amen. And this reality of exalting a minister above or to the status of Christ, and I say above the status of Christ, is seen no more clearly and no more universally than in the Roman Catholic Church, in which the seat of the Pope is elevated to that of Christ or above Christ himself. How do I know this? Because when people go to the Pope, what's the first thing they do? They bow before him. They kiss his hand. They kiss his ring. They call him Holy Father. And in the Roman Catholic Church, Christ is not exalted. He cannot be. Because everyone else except for Christ is exalted. They'll use the name of Christ, but they're not exalted in the name of Christ. That is a seat of blasphemy, and it is also idolatry to those who do so. John would not take that seat. Jesus says of all men ever born, John's the greatest. And John the Baptist is looking at the seat of the Pope and saying, I would not even dare go close to that seat. (laughs) Or to the seat of some uh, superstar evangelist and say, I would never even go close to that seat. Mm. Pull me back. Dress me in camel's hair. Mm. Let me eat whatever I can find. I'm no one. John knew that there was only one who deserved to sit on that throne of glory, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Amen. John understood this. Every faithful minister of the gospel understands this. Every faithful believer in Christ understands this truth, that to God and to God alone be the glory. And, and John took complete joy into that truth. He talks about how this joy of mine is now complete in seeing that the bride and the groom have been brought together. I'm just blessed to be able to witness the the wedding. How amazing is that? That should be. As I'm looking at every single one of your faces, that is our attitude. If it's not, ask God to make it your attitude. If you think you know more than you think you should know, stop it. You don't. If you think you're bigger and better than you think you are, stop it. You're not. Christ is. Christ is above all. Christ is in all. Christ is all in all. It's about Christ. Amen. Amen. His delight was in Christ. His joy was in Christ. It was not to delight in himself. He was not following God to see what he could get for himself. In the mind of John and the heart of John, God was more than enough. These verses that we're going to look at today, they come out of a discussion a baptism. But they are pointing to why John the Baptist believes that Christ is more than enough. The verse that that Isaiah just read. In verses 22 through 30, the disciples of John the Baptist come to him and they're upset that the crowds have now left John the Baptist. And they are now all going to Jesus. They're upset that the, the, the fanfare has now left John the Baptist and they are all now following Christ. And as a side note, when it comes to ministry... We see in the life of John the Baptist that you cannot make a humble man jealous. You can't make a humble man jealous. There's another church that is thriving in this city and they're preaching the gospel to God be the glory. I'm not going to be jealous that we've got 40 people in here this morning. That's fine. This is what God has entrusted to me. And I'll be faithful in this. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. You're not make, as a matter of fact, the one who's got the most people, I'm going to partner up with them and say, hey, what can I do to help you? I'm not going to say you go do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to say, what can I do to help you?
0: Yes.
1: Praise God. Let's be a part of that. As a matter of fact, side note, we've just got involved. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be meeting with the leaders tomorrow, actually, of a missionary group called Radius. Radius yeah. So that we can get people from this church and send them on mission trips. Or that we can be involved in giving to the missions. Or that we can somehow be mission minded. So that when people come to this church, they know that we are not just about these four That's walls. Right. That's
0: right.
1: But I have preached, I have said, we are mission-minded. We want to go and spread the gospel. So God be the glory that yes. there's been a connection there. And I'll be meeting with the leaders on Monday, so keep me in prayer on that.
0: Amen.
1: Amen. As we move forward with the rest of this chapter, John the Baptist again explains why Christ is worthy of all praise. Let's go to John chapter 3, verse number 31. I'm going to read these again. He who comes, this is speaking of God, of Christ, he who comes... Ah, uh, he who comes from above, oh, sorry, is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the, scripture, the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In this passage, we are going to see five reasons why Christ should increase. Last week, we must decrease. This week, Christ must increase. And we're going to talk about why he must increase. But before we do that, Don't forget the point of why John, the apostle, has written this letter. Go to John 20, verse 31. Quickly. John 20, verse 31. See, I got it when you got it. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What's the purpose? So that you'll believe. Believe in who? Believe in Christ. Why? So that you will have life. That is why John the Apostle wrote this epistle. So when you believe, when you trust in Christ, you have life. John the Baptist is not saying anything different. The only difference is it's John the Baptist speaking and not John the Apostle. It's almost as if John the Apostle calls John the Baptist up to the witness stand and asks him to testify concerning Christ. So what would he testify? Number one, if you're taking notes, that Jesus Christ is from heaven. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. Speaking of Christ. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He says it twice. Speaking of Christ, Jesus Christ is not of this earth. He's of heaven. When we look at the, the birth of accounts of Jesus, we see that both in Matthew and in Luke, the testimony given that this Christ is from above. Amen. Amen. As a matter of fact, if you look at those, Emmanuel, or in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, he's called Emmanuel. God with us. Amen. John is not bowing his knee before just a mere man. John is bowing his knee before the one who has come straight from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, he's the only one that has ever come from heaven. You ever think about that? That of all the people who ever lived on the earth of all times, We all fall into the category of being born of the earth. Christ is the only one who falls into the only unique son of God category of being born from heaven. He's the only one. We who are born of earth only can speak from earth. Hmm. We who are born of earth only have an earthly perspective. We who are born of earth are also born with a human sinful nature. That's right. And all of these things are our limitation, mm-hmm. which is why we stand before Christ and we're humbled because he is the only one that does not have these limitations. Right. He doesn't speak from an earthly perspective. He's not from the earth. He's born of a human nature, but not a human sinful nature.
0: That's
1: right. We're earthly. But he's heavenly. Mm -hmm. Jesus is completely different. Of a completely different origin. He has no sinful nature. He's from above. Look at John chapter 6. We're going to read a lot of scriptures from that. Yes. John 6.33 says this. For the bread of God, speaking of himself, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 38. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Verse 50 of of chapter six. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Verse 51. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. What's he trying to say? Let's go on. 58. He'll tell you again, just in case you missed it. That is the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread that has come down from heaven. He's obviously saying what? He came from heaven. How many times does he need to say it? And if he didn't come from heaven, then he's a liar. That's right. John 8.32 says this. You are from below, you and I, but I am from above. The I am. He says, I am. Ego e me. I am from above. John said, Jesus said in John chapter 17, John chapter 17, I am not of this world.
0: Amen.
1: Jesus is making it clear. He is from heaven.
0: Amen.
1: John understands this truth that Jesus is not from the earth. He's from heaven, therefore, because we all fall into the category of being from earth, and he comes from the category of being from heaven, he's superior. That's right. He's greater than all of us, is he not?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Amen. Amen. Let let, let me just ask you a question. When I say he's from heaven, what does that do to you? Does it make you say, yeah, I know. Huh? Does it make you go, I know. Hurry up. Packers are playing. Not you, brother. (laughs) What does it do to you? Do you recognize that this is your God,
0: yes.
1: that we are giving we are giving reasons why when we stand before an unbeliever, why he is worthy of praise Amen. because he's from heaven and you are not. Right. If someone who is not a believer asks you, why are you a Christian? You look at them and say, because he's the only one that's from heaven and all of us are from earth. Or you could say to them, because you're a sinner and he's not. Because you're born born from the earth and he's yes, not. Yes, yes. See, are you are you connecting yes, these things? Yes. See, don't let this just be information yes. to you because it's not. That's right. This is gospel truth that you walk into life with yes. and take with you into your everyday life. Yes.
0: Yes. Amen. Yes, yes, amen.
1: Don't let yourself become dull. Mm.
0: Ah. Mm-hmm.
1: He must increase. I must decrease. Let that be something that you constantly are fired up yes. to say amen about. Now I'm not asking you
0: yes.
1: to be talking back to me, but I am asking you yes. to be alive.
0: Amen.
1: We're talking about our God. Yes.
0: Amen. Yes.
1: He is uniquely other than any person who's ever lived on this earth. Yes. Number two. Jesus Christ has not man, when I when I started to study this,
2: this freaked yes. me out.
1: Okay? Oh, Jesus Christ, number two, has firsthand divine knowledge. I want you to think about that phrase. He has firsthand divine knowledge. Look at verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and what he has heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Jesus is not just a man who is telling you what he thinks might be going on. He's standing before you as being the one from heaven telling you what he has seen in heaven. Now, I know there's been a lot of people who have said they've gone to heaven and come back. And they want to tell you that six, Jesus is six feet tall. He's got sandy blonde hair. He's built, looks like, you know, whoever, Brad Pitt slash Russell Crowe, whatever you want to say. And they want to tell you, yeah, you know, there's unicorns and there's flying donkeys, whatever. You can't trust those accounts. Heaven is for real. Of course, heaven is for real. But heaven is for real. Book is not. That's right. <coughs> Amen. 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 There's only one who has been able to go to or be from yes. and then come down yes. and tell you, let me tell yes. you what I know yes. from firsthand experience. Yes. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. yes. He's from heaven.
0: Yes.
1: No one ever needed to teach him anything. Yes. You're speaking about the one who is omnisciently knowing all things. Yes. Can you believe that? Yes.
0: Hallelujah.
1: That's the one you serve. Thank you. That's the one you call your God. Yes. Yes. Who knows all things. He, all things. he yes. puts limits on himself when he comes to earth. Yes. But no one puts limits on him. No one can add to his power. No one can take away his power. No information was outside of his all-knowing power. He's outside and above and beyond everything that we are. Therefore, he must increase. And I must decrease. Don't lose the point. Everything that you know, think about this. Everything you know, someone had to teach you. You realize that? And everything you're learning right now, someone is teaching you.
0: Yes.
1: No one is walking in here knowing. I know some of you think you do, but, but no one is walking in here knowing all things. That's
0: right.
1: That's Only Christ knows all things. We are learning and being taught every single day. Amen. So he must increase and I must decrease.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Jesus tells Nicodemus truly, truly, I say to you, verse 11 of chapter 3, that we speak of what we know. And bear witness to what we have seen. I'm telling you what I know. I'm not telling you what I've been taught. I'm telling you what I have known and have always known for all times firsthand knowledge. He knows you. He knows what you're thinking right now about him, about me, about yourself, about what you want to do when you get out of here, about what you want to eat, about how much you wish we would hurry or how much you wish I would take my time. He knows the thoughts and even the intentions of your heart. Yes. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. Yes. He knows what you've always done. He knows what you were going to do before you did it, when you were born, and even before you were born. That's
0: right. Okay. That's, right. That's right. Therefore, he must increase and I must decrease. Yes. Yes. Are you getting the point? Yes. Yes.
1: That's so deep that we could barely grasp that. Yes, yes. Therefore, he must increase yes. and I must decrease. Yes. That's the point. Yes. It's so beyond us that we're saying, okay, you're God. You're God. This is what John is trying to get across. He says in John eight twenty six, Jesus, I have much to say mm-hmm. about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Amen. Verse 38 of that same chapter, he says, I speak of what I have seen with my father. Because he's from heaven. Because he has all knowledge. He must Hallelujah. increase. I must decrease. Hallelujah. John goes on. Verse, uh, number three. Yes, Christ testimony. What Christ says mm. is in agreement with God.
0: Hallelujah.
1: They are one. And because they are one, they are never in disagreement with one another. They are one. Mm. Amen? Verse 33. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this. That God is true. Now... That's such a deep statement for such a short verse, but God is true. God cannot lie. Amen. If God is true and God cannot lie, you are required, you're commanded to believe in Christ. If God is true and God cannot lie, then you must believe in Christ. If you believe the two former points, God is true and God cannot lie, then you must believe the last conclusion. You must believe in Christ. Why do I say that? God sent his, his servant Gabriel and said, this is Emmanuel. He will be God with us. He will save his people from their sin. God spoke at the baptism of Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Yeah. Yes. Because God spoke at the transfiguration and says, This is my beloved son, listen to him. Yes. Yes. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, then you are calling God, who spoke in all these different instances. In the New Testament, we'll get to the Old Testament. You're calling God who said these things a liar.
0: That's right. Amen.
1: Which Muslims are happy to do. Yeah. Amen? Which many other religions and so called atheists. I don't believe there's anything called an atheist anymore. That's right. Oh. Because Romans 1.18 says there's no such thing. Mm. God has put this knowledge inside of you.
0: Mm.
1: You know there's a God. Amen. You're just suppressing the truth, so repent. You rebel.
0: That's right. Amen. That's right.
1: Amen. If you receive Christ then you're acknowledging that God is true. If you reject Christ, you're saying that God is a liar. Therefore, those of the, the, of the religion of Judaism who say the God of the Old Testament is who they believe in and who they are calling true and who they say they put all their faith in, they're calling that God a liar. Because the, even the God of the Old Testament, especially the God of the Old Testament, uh, prophesies from Genesis to Malachi concerning Christ. From Genesis to Malachi, prophecies are pointing to and fulfilled by Christ. And yet they look at that and say, no, he's not the Messiah. He's not our Messiah. Therefore, you of Judaism are calling God a liar. This is not politically correct. If I was a megastar preacher, I would be on Larry King tomorrow. And they'd be asking me to recant the things that I'm saying. And I would not. If you do not believe in Christ, you call God a liar. Amen. Amen. In Genesis 3, God spoke of the seed of the woman who would come, Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, God spoke of one who would be wounded and pierced for our sins, for our transgressions, Jesus Christ. In the book of Psalms, David speaks about one who would be tortured for our sins, Jesus Christ. We can go on and on and on. Matter of fact, I can think there was one um, one example, that if the state of Texas was filled with quarters five feet high and there was one quarter marked thrown into that state of Texas, you know how big Texas is, the chances that you would be able to find that one quarter in that state of Texas that is filled with quarters five feet high would be one in like a jillion, jillion, jillion. The chance that you could find that quarter. Christ is that quarter. Mm. And all the five feet of quarters are all the prophecies spoken about it. Mm. The chance that Christ would be the one to fulfill all those things, or be that coin, is that the the odds are that big. Therefore, we conclude this is the one that we've been looking for. And if you say it's not, then you call God a liar. That's right. John, First John five ten says the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has him a liar or calls him a liar. How? By rejecting Christ. The ones who you talk to on a daily basis and they say, "Ah, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Christ. Well, then you're a liar and you're calling God a liar. Right. Is that harsh? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But people need to know that they're rebelling against what God has inni- or innately put inside of them, a knowledge of God, yes. which points to Christ.
0: Amen. That's right. Amen. Amen.
1: If God is true, then Christ is true. That's
0: right. And if the
1: eternal life and the eternal life that Christ promised is also true, God is true, Christ is true, and the eternal life that Christ promised in believing in Him is also true. Jesus said in John seven sixteen My teaching is not my own, but it is His who sent me. Very basic. If you reject me, you're rejecting God. You're calling me a liar, you're calling God a liar. That's right. John five twenty three says, whoever does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. Amen?
0: Yeah.
1: If you reject the Son, you reject the Father. Number four, and I've got one more. Christ experienced the power of the Holy Spirit without limit. Verse 34. For he who has come has sent, has sent utters, oh, for whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. Jesus is to be exalted because he is the one who was promised by God. He was affirmed by God. He knows firsthand knowledge from heaven. And he also has the spirit of God without measure. The prophets of old, they spoke for God. They were led by God. They were empowered by God. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak on behalf of God. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from the time that he was in his mother's womb. But all of these people who had these experiences with the Spirit, they all were limited because of their fallen nature. Oh, yes. But Christ, whom God sent, perfectly spoke the word of God because he had no battle with his sinful nature like you and I do. Colossians 2.9 tells us that in him all the fullness of deity Dwell in bodily form. There were no limits to his power. Working through him. The miracles that were done. Were done as a result of the Holy Spirit living in him. The words that were spoken. Were a result of the Holy Spirit living in him. The healings that he did. Were a result of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him. Yes. The calming of the sea. The, the raising the dead. The exercising of demons. All of these and, things were a result of up. what? Thank you, Father. The Holy Spirit yes. living on the inside of him. Yes. Without measure. Without limits, without boundaries. Why do you and I not walk faithfully every single day
0: in the power
1: of the Holy Spirit? Because living on the inside of us also is the reality of the sin nature. Christ did not have that. Therefore, he must increase and I must decrease. He's one who is faithfully walking in the Spirit. Yes. we are not. Yes. It was a battle yes. for some of you to get here yes. because of your sinful nature.
0: Yes.
1: It's a battle for some of y'all to listen to me for the next 15 minutes
0: yes.
1: because of your stinking sinful nature.
0: Yes. It's been
1: a battle for some of you to listen to me for the, for the past 24 minutes because of your sinful nature. Hallelujah. It's Hallelujah. going to be a battle when you leave here yes. to put into practice, <laughs> he must increase, I must decrease because of your sinful nature. <laughs>
0: That's right. Positionally, it's gone. Yes. Earthly, it's here. That's yes, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Huh? Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes.
1: John saw the spirit come and remain on him. There he is, the one without measure of the spirit. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you faithfully walked in the presence and of power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside oh my of you? Gosh. Wow, you'd never make a mistake. No one would ever be, well, people would be mad at you here, but I mean, you'd always do the right thing. You read when you're supposed to, you pray when you're supposed to. Not supposed to, you just want to pray because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not even a supposed to, it's like, I want to. And you, we say, like, ah, oh, I have to. No. Imagine walking like Christ walked. Wow. Last and not least, he's received all authority from the father. Verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. Mm -hmm. John understands that the whole of creation and the whole of redemption is about the father loving the son. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That in this love that is shown between the father and the son, it is (laughs) expressed in the Father taking a bride for his son, redeeming them and presenting them for his son. Mm-hmm. That's what all of redemption is about. The love between the father and the son. Paul tries to capture some of this idea when he says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20. Go ahead and turn there. And, <coughs> Ephesians 1.20 I'll get water. Ephesians 1.20 says He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places Mm -hmm. for above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, he is above Mm -hmm. and put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Yes. John understands this. Yes. Paul understands this. And he yes. he tries to, to give his disciples an idea that Christ is all authoritative. Yes. All authority is in yes. the hands of Christ. Do you yes. get that? Yes.
0: Yes. That
1: your life is under his authority. Yes. That the future is in yes. his authority. Yes. That all power, all dominion, yes. all rule is under the authority yes. of Christ. Yes. John gets this and the conclusion yes. is, yes. let him increase. Yes. Let yes. me decrease. Yes. All of these reasons.
0: All these
1: reasons. And many, many more. We're just dealing with what's in this passage. Yes.
0: Yes.
1: And then John concludes with almost something that we see in John 3.16. He says in verse 36. Now, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Right. Think about this. Why does John go from obey... Or believe to obey. Mm. Think about that. Believe the gospel.
0: Yes.
1: Believe the gospel. And then he says, obey, obey. As if it's a command. Do you know yeah. that it is a command to believe the gospel? Yes. Or it is a command to repent. Mm. Did you know that God commands all people everywhere? Acts 17.30 commands men everywhere to repent. That's a decree of God. God decrees that all men repent so that when all men stand before him, they will not have an excuse when they stand before him that they did not obey his command. He makes the command. Now, whether you obey it or not. That's going to be another subject. But will men obey? Will men obey the commands of God? How will a man obey? A man will not obey unless God does a serious work in their heart. But all men stand under the command to obey. So whether you obey or not, it don't matter. It could be, a, it is a work of God, obviously. And there's a choice there that we we'll get, we can get into it at another time. But there's a command to obey. All men rebel against that command unless God does a serious work, a regenerating work in their heart. To where now their will is changed and they now say, I want to obey God because God has done a work inside of me. But regardless of that work, there's an overall command for every single person to obey. For every single person to repent. And he who believes in the Son of God and obeys the command lives. And he who does not believe and obey the command and the Son of God. They die, they perish. And why does the wrath of God remain on them? Because you were born with the wrath of God on you. So if you don't believe, it stays on you. If Christ does not do a work, if the Holy Spirit does not do a work in you, then the wrath of God remains on on you with what you were born in. You were born with the wrath, with being the object of the wrath of God. Do you know that? That when you were born, you were the object of God's wrath because you were sinners. Romans one eighteen, read it. Romans one eighteen to three Romans three twenty around there. That's all about you and I. And John ends with these words. That sounds so much like John three sixteen. Bow your knee before him, though, because he is the only one who is worthy of honor, glory, and praise. He must decrease. And I must, he must increase and I must decrease. After this, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness goes silent. That's the last time we're going to hear in this book of that great man, John the Baptist. Not long after this, we see a sad ending to the life of John the Baptist. And I'd like to show it to you in Matthew chapter 14. I will say, as... uh, Okay, let's go into John chapter 14. Uh, Matthew 14, I'm sorry, thank you. Are you there? At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why... The miraculous powers are at work in him. John has died. Let's explain how.
2: For Herod had
1: seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. What did Herod do? He married his brother's wife. John the Baptist was calling him out on it in front of everyone. So Herod had enough of it, brought him into jail. I will say as a side note, stop reading because you're going to get ahead of me. I will say as a side note... That when John the Baptist is in jail, he's unsure about Christ. Yeah. So he sends his disciples and to ask Jesus, Hey, are you the one that, we were supposed, that we're waiting for or should we look for someone else? What was he doing? He was expressing his human nature. Doubt. Worry. Fear. He wasn't, Jesus wasn't doing what they all thought Jesus was going to do. Overthrow the Roman power, set up the, the, the kingdom of, of Israel right there. Jesus is going to be the king. Jesus was coming with a whole different agenda that even John the Baptist did not know. Right? Jesus sends um, the the messengers back and says, look, the dead are raised. The the, the blind are seeing. On and on and on. Basically, I'm the one. Right? All right. Uh, Verse 5. And though he wanted to put him to death, though Herod wanted to put John the Baptist to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But... When Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias, his wife's daughter, danced before the company and pleased Herod. So Herodias, the daughter of Herodias, comes. She dances. Herod is like, whoa, what can I do for you? So he promised an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, so his new wife says to her daughter, this is what I want you to do is what I want you to tell Herod. Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oath and his guest, he commanded it to be given. He made an oath before the guest. So he stands up, sees the girl dancing and says, whatever you want, everyone's watching and are witness to the fact that he's saying, whatever you want. So now he's bound. He was going to kill John. But who did not like What was being spoken against him as well? Herod's wife, who was his brother's sister, or was was his his brother's wife. So in order to shut John the Baptist up about what she did, kill him. And she sends her daughter to be the tool to be used to do that. And the king was sorry. Um, Verse 10. He sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And the disciples came and took, his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. What a way for this great man to to die. But I will say that as you look back on history, that's the way that many great men of God died. Why? Why? because people who love the lie will always try or love the truth will always try to destroy it and they will do it in some of the grossest ways possible we're going to find out on Wednesday that John Huss the one of the great pre-reformers or forerunners to the reformers he was burned at the stake and when he was burned only the bottom half of his body burned but he was dead so they lit him on fire again They burned the top out of his body. And then through the ashes, they found that there was still a pumping heart. They took that heart and they burned it too. Great men of God usually die in tragic ways. That star was extinguished. That voice was silenced. But you can't stop the sun from shining. (laughs) And as we move on into chapter 4, we're going to see how much brighter and brighter the Son of God gets. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your servant, John the Baptist. We thank you that he gives us a lesson that we should all strive to live and to put into practice. And that is that he the Lord Jesus Christ must increase and we, we must decrease. Lord, give us a grander view of who you are even today as we stand and hear the testimony of John the Baptist. Let us be people who also declare to all who will hear and even if they won't hear to all with ears that he must increase and we must decrease. To God alone be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Pastor John. What a beautiful teaching, right? What we want to do is now is we want to continue and end this in in the act of worship unto the Lord and in the act of giving. So as always, as you know, church members, as we as we give here at RBC, we ask that you please use the offering envelopes if you're giving by cash. Uh, remember, just um, if you're giving by cash, you have to use those offering envelopes. And if you're giving by check, as always, there is no need for the offering envelope. Just simply make your check payable to RBC. Um, you know where they're at, they're scattered in the seats in front of you. If you need one, you can raise your hand. and. Uh, Servants back there would gladly give you one, so as you're filling those out and making those out, I want to read from Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 4, I'm in the wrong, excuse me, Philippians, Amen. One book over, Philippians chapter 4. We know the the text here, and I'm just going to start with verse 15. The word says here, it says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving but you alone. Pretty clear what we're talking about here. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonians, Thessalon- you, uh, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Pretty clear, pretty plain in context here. Verse 18. But I have received everything in full... And have an abundance. I am amply supplied having received from Ephroditus what you have sent. Now look at what the offering, the gift offering is referred to here. A fragrant aroma. An acceptable sacrifice. Look at this. Well pleasing to God. An acceptable sacrifice, a fragrant aroma, well-pleasing to God. And this is exactly what we do when we give. It is a a well-pleasing form of worship to the Lord. It truly is an act of worship. And with that in mind, we want to give and we want to worship the Lord today in our giving from a willful heart. Amen? So, I ask that the servants of God, and let's all stand, if you could, if you're done. Let's all stand. And let's honor, and let's worship the Lord in our giving.